Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. And today, we're talking about creating your own independent documentaries on sensitive subject matter. There are some topics which it just helps to have the second opinion of an editor or an editorial team. So if you are pursuing a weighty story alone or in very small numbers, what goes through your head? Our guest today is Abianka Makoni, or Abby for short, and she's a multimedia journalist for The Evening Standard. But on February the 1st, next week, she is finally publishing a documentary that she's been working on for more than a year now in her spare time, with Samson Faladin acting as her executive producer and editor. The documentary called Gang Girls focuses on the coercion of girls and women into criminal gangs here in the UK and it takes a solutions orientated approach. We will discuss the pros and cons of being a dynamic duo when exploring such a serious subject. It's worth stating that at the time of recording, Abby had produced the documentary and released its trailers together with Samson, but in the days after speaking to her, her employers The Evening Standard discussed working with her to ensure more investigative pieces tackling issues affecting different communities would be produced. If nothing else, it shows the impact that one journalist can have. All of that's to come, but first, this. As well as great editorial content, journalism.co.uk provides a jobs board with the latest opportunities from around the media industry. Our job of the week is a senior editor role for Time magazine. For this position and all the rest on our jobs board, head over to www.journalism.co.uk forward slash jobs. Abby, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. What's the working situation like for you at the moment? Busy, absolutely busy, honestly, <laughs> with everything happening with COVID and then just recently the US elections, it's been absolutely busy, but we've got the doc out the way, so that's, that's great. That's what we're here to talk about today. You have indeed been busy. You've got the uh, documentary Gang Girls coming out on the 1st of February, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit more about that documentary and, and sort of what's to come there? So with this solution-focused documentary, Samson and I essentially spoke to those on the front line of this issue. So from the grassroots charities, those who are training police, teachers, and also the victim survivors as well, who a lot of them are now trying to give back to the youth and trying to draw young girls um, and boys out of crime and criminal activity. So it's just looking at, okay, this is the issue. This is how bad it is. But what is being done and what can be done, essentially. And uh, so we hear quite a lot of solutions and ideas being spoken about and how we can do better, essentially. Mm. Loads of questions come to mind, of course, but um, <laughs> it's uh, kind of been an easy time to explore this with, with, with what's happening in the world. How did, how did COVID kind of affect the, the documentary coming together? Uh, it definitely did affect it because, of course, with the restrictions, there were times where we... Um, some point we were like okay are we going to be able to go and film this um do we have to do it via zoom how are we going to get you know to be able to do the interview but luckily we actually started filming the documentary at the start of last year so we started around february and then some of the filming was around march so although uh you know covid was here in the uk it wasn't as bad as in as it is now and you know the restrictions weren't as worse i guess so although the fact that you're a multimedia journalist with the Evening Standard, the documentary has in fact nothing to do with the Evening Standard. You've chosen to do it independently, all, well, working with Samson uh, Faladzen, of course, as your mm. executive producer and editor. Why did you choose to pursue this story in such small numbers? 
I've always loved broadcasts and I guess telling stories visually and particularly on this issue in this area this is something I I'm very passionate about and I've reported on crime and life crime in the past but I guess I really wanted to work with someone who I was very familiar with I've known Samson for years now and I know that this is something he also wanted to explore and again a subject matter he's familiar with as well due to you know where he grew up and how he grew up and I think that's the, how the idea came to light. We thought, you know what, we are two young creatives who have a passion for this issue. And uh, it's something that, you know, although it affects everyone, it also affects our community as well. Let's do it. Let's get up and let's see what we can do together and uh, bring this topic back into the limelight. Could you have explored this with the Evening Standard, like with your day job, if you wanted to? I definitely think so. I mean, with the Evening Standard, they have an amazing video team that I'm sure would have been able to do an amazing job uh, with this project. But I think, again, with everything happening with COVID-19 and then with politics, Brexit, the US, they just so much attention going in different areas. So I think um, that's another thing which I guess I thought about and I thought, you know what, the newsroom is extremely busy right now um, with so many different things. Uh, this is something that I can, I guess, also do on my own. And I think I, I've mentioned I am a self-shooter. So with some of the videos, I did self-shoot on my own, which meant that it did allow me to be able to not depend on too many people so that the project could actually happen and we didn't have further delays. Yeah, kind of been easy doing this in what must be limited spare time. You, you, you mentioned starting at the start of last year. Gosh. Um, journalists are obviously well known for burning the candle at both ends. So yeah. talk to me about that. It's crazy, <laughs> honestly. I was always tired because, of course, I do work for the standard. So I was using my weekends or straight after my shift. I would then like stay up all night. It's absolutely crazy. But again, when you are passionate about something or when you are tackling just a very sensitive story, mm. you're going to give it your all, you know. And I think journalist hours are just wild anyway. So staying up till late, it wasn't anything new for me. But again, because I knew that a lot of these victim survivors were saying like, look, you know, we've been trying to get this more in the line that we there's so many things we want to talk about we also want to talk about how COVID has exacerbated a few of the issues so the fact that you're doing this we're really grateful and just hearing those things as well it does make you want to keep pushing um, and mm. using your free time to ensure that the project does get done so but it was definitely hard it was I felt like we, we were working basically seven days a week basically but yeah I can see your passion why is this story so close to your heart well, uh, a few years ago, I did lose a friend uh, to knife crime. And I guess, you know, the issue of knife crime itself, it's, you know, something that is definitely affecting the UK as a whole, not just London. But I think for some people, until it gets close to home, that's when you really realise how bad it is. And I guess um, after I lost my friend, I started just mentoring a few young people and getting involved in more youth committees, workshops, basically trying to help uh those that might be out of education or you know at high risk of gang life and I guess when you're communicating with some of these children you're hearing what they're going through and you're hearing what they see on a day-to-day -day basis and you know there's one young man who was 15 at the time who told me that he's seen people get stabbed in the face and you're thinking you're so young and you've just experienced some of the worst things so I think 
that is what has, I guess, given me this passion and this urge to ensure that we are highlighting some of the issues around, you know, crime as a whole and how it's affecting young people in particular. My condolences, Abby. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's fine. Listen, this is a topic clearly with a lot of sensitivities and, and sort of considerations going in. In a broader sense, we have seen this trend of journalists going independent albeit on their own publications, and that's not specifically what you're doing here. But when I've spoken to them, they've said that, um, you know, I wouldn't want to do something too in-depth and in- investigative because I don't have the the gut check that comes with perhaps like a full editorial team. Did you think about that going in, that having such small numbers when you were going to be exploring something so sensitive and, and ethically challenging, of course? I think a lot of my journalist friends, particularly editor friends, were very supportive throughout this whole, uh, I guess, process where I was continuously checking in on them. And if I ever had any question, I'd always be like, OK, you know, I'm doing this documentary and you know, how would I go about this and how would I go about that? And I think um, with some of the contributors for the documentary, I'd worked with them previously anyway, whether it was like a youth event. So there was a lot of trust that had been built because, again, as a journalist, I try to uh, be well connected with, uh, I guess, different communities uh, so that when you are I guess working on certain topics they know they can trust you and if they ever have a question or a query they're very quick to tell you well okay how are you going to do this and how are you going to do that and they don't shy away from also challenging you and asking you how you're going to go about certain things. Yeah so you, you had a lot of people that you could run things past basically. Exactly yeah whether it's mentors or just editors I knew that would be available. What were some of the things that you run, ran past them? Yeah, it was simply just about, I guess, when you're cutting down the piece, because obviously when you are a a newspaper journalist, it's different from, you know, broadcast or, you know, radio. A lot of things get left on the cutting room floor, don't they? Exactly. So we've got loads and loads of hours of, you know, footage and then you're cutting everything down to just, you know, 30 or 45 minutes. And I think one of the things I definitely asked about is how do you approach a contributor and basically explaining that, look, I have had to cut, you know, quite a few things down, especially if you've sat down with them for quite a while. Um, and I, I think sometimes people have this idea that almost everything's going to go in or, you know, a lot's going to go in, but actually... And the reality is very different. Exactly, it? it's very different. And um, so I got some really great advice and the contributors were 100% um, understanding as well. And I think that's one thing I've made sure to do throughout the whole process. It's just continuous communication. Mm. Every time I know there's going to be a delay because of COVID or, I don't know, because I'm too occupied with something else or whatever, I will always just let them know, oh, by the way, just another delay. It might be ready next month. And I think that's one thing that they have appreciated because they're like, oh, yeah, Andrew, it's okay. <laughs> you can start emailing us now. It's all right. Um, so, yeah. So basically managing expectations, really. Yeah, managing expectations. And, yeah, I think that's the main thing, really, just how to approach mm. certain situations and ensuring that I'm doing you know, my part. Because I think as journalists, you have a duty of care with whoever you're working with to ensure that they're okay, they understand how the footage is being used and just what's happening, uh, particularly if they've opened up on very sensitive things. Yeah, because that's their story that they're imparting to you, they're sharing with you, and they take a lot of that. Yeah. They want to own that, and you don't want to take that away from them necessarily, mm. if you if you sense what I mean. What were some of the other sort of key decisions that you had to make along the way, thinking more about ethical considerations? Of course, if you look at Ipso, there's a whole section on intrusions into grief. So did that, for example, come up? 
Yeah, definitely. That's one thing one of the mentors did mention as well, just ensuring that, okay, however you're going to do it and the end product, just make sure that you have, you know, checked back. And it's something that even those contributors will look back and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'm still comfortable with the end product. And I don't feel like, you know, you intruded or, you know, made me feel uncomfortable. And I think that's something I definitely did even after the interview. And once Doc had been, uh, I guess, completed just going back to them and saying I know we did speak about this this and that I just do want to double check that everything's okay and you're still feeling comfortable because I do understand in the moment sometimes when you are being interviewed you know you may say things or you may I guess just mention quite a few things so I think it's very important to just go back and say you know was this okay so always letting them feel like they've they've got a degree of control over what what is being put out I guess in a way, I believe so, particularly with such sensitive stories. And when you're working victim survivors, I think it's important just to um, mm. continue that communication and give them a space where they feel like they can uh, raise a point and say, oh, by the way, or, oh, this and that, rather than making them feel as if, oh, my gosh, I can't never contact this journalist again and raise my concerns or worries. Were there any like off the record conversations before, ahead of time to sort of help um, people come forward, warm up to you, this kind of thing? Yeah, we I had quite a few conversations uh, with some of the grassroots organisations beforehand. And that was mainly because that was them really kind of expressing their, I wouldn't say concerns, but as you know, with some communities, they're not always very forthcoming with the media for whatever reasons they may have. Um, maybe due to a lack of trust or maybe bad experiences before. And I think for them, it was a matter of understanding, okay, what is this documentary really going to be about? Why are you so keen to do it? Why now? And what do you want from me? And just those conversations. And also one of them did ask for my previous work before, uh, just so they could get a feel of what type of journalist I am and what kind of issues I've worked on in the past. And um, some of them did see I had worked with uh, people they knew or organisations they knew. If they see you as like a, a lone reporter going at this story, does that help in some way to build trust, warm up, get people in front of camera and open up? Was that your experience or or not? Mm. Do you know what? I, I think sometimes it actually helps having uh, a big outlet by your side and you know saying oh this is for this person and this is for that person um and it can help if you're independent or well I, I think it just depends who you're working with and I guess their own experience with media in general you'll get some people who are like oh you're doing it independently I'm not sure if I want to work with you and others who are like oh you're doing it independently wow okay I'll definitely love to be a part of that I think perhaps the fact that I was doing it independently definitely gave that impression that oh this is something you must be passionate about if you are doing it on your own and taking your free time not getting paid very low budget you know what I mean um and again because it had that solution focused angle as well um I believe that helped and just all those things yeah let's come on to that because this is this is an important question I think the trade-off for being independent is that you get complete full freedom on how you want to tell this story was that part of the thinking I can go at this alone and have the full control over this this solutions angle I think it was a lot of teamwork really if I'm very honest because it was a lot of back and forth with Samson and I anyway kind of trying to decide how we were going to do it okay this is the best approach I mean I think it's the same as you know 
if you're working in a newsroom and you have a team of you know lots of people even if it's just us two we have had many drafts and back and forths and how should we do it this way and what's new what's not new um, and it's a shame that it's taken us so long to get it done because obviously as you can imagine the challenges have been exacerbated because of COVID-19 and it's just unfortunate that we haven't been able to cover um, some of the other issues because of COVID and how that have I guess worsened uh, what some of these girls are going through. What were what were perhaps some of the advantages of pursuing this this story in in small numbers then? I think just how easy it was to say to Samson, okay, great, I've secured this interview. Let's do it next week. Um, let's do it over the weekend. And just how e- whereas I didn't have to be like, oh, Jim, Rob, Anna, this person, are you all free? Less rigmarole, basically. <laughs> exactly. So it was just very. It's much easier that way, and um, just in terms of communicating ideas, and it was just very. I just much easier I would say and um, because again we are um, very interested in the area and just I guess spending that time really digging into what we can and the fact that as I mentioned we are well connected with different communities maybe because of things that we do outside of work so it meant that Samson could say oh actually I do know this contact or I know this person or in the past I've worked with this charity and we we're just everything was just able to flow would we have liked a bigger team? Um, yes, because again, sometimes a bigger team does help. Um, we had a low budget, as as mentioned as well. So perhaps having more people would have allowed us to uh, maybe do more because I couldn't be in two places at once. Neither could uh, Samson and yeah. So help me understand this. Where exactly is this solutions angle really pronounced in this story? I'd say after Lucy, I guess, discusses her own experiences and what she went through, then we start hearing a bit more from, so for example, we do have a, a, a researcher and someone who owns an organisation which focuses on, you know, expectation. And she speaks about what, of her, what a lot of her young people have spoken to her about. They said, look, we feel like some of the people that speak to us, they don't really understand. They don't they don't get it, you know. And then she speaks about training teachers sometimes. But then we bring in a teacher who speaks about the burden that could be placed on teachers where they have multiple jobs. They're not only being teachers, but now they're being social workers. They have to, I guess, now um, identify those who may be at high risk of gangs and so much more. And then he talks about the support we should then give teachers if we're expecting them to do all of that. And uh, we also hear from a pastor, so a religious leader who speaks about some of the grooming that may happen in churches and how some leaders can be quite complicit and how it's important for them to actually speak up. The, the, the reason I ask, and that's a really interesting answer you give, um, is that solutions journalism is not commonly associated with the types of organisations you work for, the Evening Standard. Do you think if you had done this story with the Evening Standard, do you think it would have borne out that solutions angle quite as much would you have foregone that angle or do you think you still would have seen that through I think we would have because I would definitely have fought for it and I think the standard uh is very how can I say it's looking to always improve and it's looking to always tackle issues in a different light and I think you know if I were to go into that meeting and pitch this documentary and say, look, I think we should definitely take a solution focused angle, they would say, okay, why? And then I would explain it. And I definitely think they would have been very open to it because again, if they're hearing from a lot of the victims themselves and contributors saying, no, we need to talk about the solutions, they would definitely take that into consideration because they understand uh, 
that again, like you said, solution journalism isn't always done by a lot of outlets here. Listen, let's let's do a couple of quick fire questions for you to to, to close with, Abby. What's kind of the the biggest thing that you've learned professionally throughout the throughout the last year in pursuing this story? That's a good question. The biggest thing that I've learned patience. I feel you know they just just that patience and you know working on the story and just not rushing it. You know, although you want to get things done and you want to see it progressing i'd say definitely patience to get a good story or just explore things properly you need that patience and understand things are not always going to go your way particularly if you're doing it independently you'll think yep it's going to be done within a few months but actually uh, you know it's not that easy at all and it's definitely been a learning curve i'd say uh and an experience as well patience um what advice would you give to other journalists considering doing their own independent work on the basis of what you've done this year? Gosh, I would say communication is definitely key, uh, particularly communication with your contributors and your team member or team members. You know, definitely keep them in the loop, even if it's very small things. Um, just keep them updated because I think they'll definitely appreciate it, even if you don't always say. I think at the back of their mind, they they'll know that you know what this person's on job they you know and it, it can help with trust as well knowing that okay this person's very good at communicating I know that if anything was to go wrong they will let me know you know they will keep me in the loop I don't have to worry as much would you do anything differently if you were to do it again I would actually because one thing I know for sure that it's not it's not perfect I'm not going to sit here and say it's the world's best uh documentary but one thing I would say perhaps different shots I wish we would have had time <laughs> to get a few better shots really and I think as a young journalist now looking back at just everything and maybe some of the questions I sometimes I said they're like oh I wish I'd asked that or asked in this way every week you're you're explaining my life to me every week <laughs> honestly I'll come off this call I'm thinking I should have asked that damn it <laughs> and it's so hard because you're sitting there like oh can we make it work and it's like oh it's, it's very hard um but yeah I think definitely could have asked a few other questions um maybe better shots if we had more time and if the restrictions weren't there we could have definitely gone out and done that but there's always a next time I hope always a next time um and last question where do we get to see it so you will be able to see the documentary via um house media so that's a youtube channel that was recently created specifically for short film documentaries Abby, it's been great talking to you about gang girls I wish you all the best with it and uh, thanks for jumping on the podcast thank you great to speak to Abby there and lots of practical advice for anyone pursuing sensitive stories. Be patient, manage expectations, and just understand that they are offering up something very personal to them. When going at it either independently or in small numbers, use whatever external context you have to just get a second opinion on big decisions. But all of that said, don't rule out the indie route for stories which you are really passionate about, as with Abby's example, it might inspire a new approach within your organisation. If you like what you heard, you can find more of our episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. And if you'd like to feature on the show, I would love to hear from you. Drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.